Can you immunize an individual against nicotine? An effective anti-smoking vaccine would keep nicotine molecules from ever entering or affecting the brain. Today we'll explore NICVAX. How does it work? And more importantly, will it work? You are listening to ReachMD XM233, the channel for medical professionals. Welcome to the Clinician's Roundtable. I'm your host, Dr. Larry Kaskill. Joining me today is Dr. Frank Bacci, Director of the Division of Pharmacotherapies and Medical Consequences of Drug Abuse at the National Institute on Drug Abuse at the NIH. His division oversees research into medications for the treatment of marijuana, cocaine, methamphetamine, nicotine, and opiate dependence. Dr. Vachi is an expert in the neurobiology of addiction, pharmacology, and therapy for substance abuse disorders. Dr. Vachi, welcome to the show. Hi, nice to be here. It sounds pretty exciting, this NICVAX. Can you tell our audience a little bit about it and how it works? Sure, sure. It's a, a, a way of tricking the immune system into producing antibodies. The nicotine is linked to a molecule that will link to a protein, and this Captain will produce antibodies in individuals. So it is an, it's essentially a vaccine. It works like a vaccine, and the individual has to produce their own antibodies for this to work. Where are we in terms of uh, getting this to market? Right now, it's at the end of phase two. There have been several phase one studies and two phase two studies that have evaluated this, and the next studies that are going to be done will be very large studies that will then be used for registration. What have we seen in the current studies? Uh, how, how effective is it so far? Now, going back to the animal studies, the, the rationale uh, was demonstrated that if animals had antibodies to nicotine, they would increase their plasma to brain ratio of, of nicotine. Essentially, that nicotine was not being transferred into the brain. It was being held in the plasma. This gave us an idea that not only was the, the rate and extent of nicotine uptake into brain altered, but also the nicotine pharmacokinetics was being altered also, so that it was actually producing a, a longer elimination half-life of the nicotine. Is there a threshold where, let's say, someone could overcome that effect by just smoking more cigarettes? It's, uh, you know, I guess it's, it's possible, but... Uh, you know, it's an interesting question. There were experiments were done where animals were given the equivalent of a nicotine dose that was equal to two cigarettes, and the answer to that was no. So it, it didn't seem that it was producing, a, a, you know, a, a blockade that was all that surmountable. The clinical studies that have been done to date, there have been some phase one studies, usual types of studies in both smokers and non-smokers, where safety and immunogenicity were evaluated, and the side effects that have been seen from the phase one and phase two studies are, are the usual kinds of things that you see with a vaccine. You uh, get some tenderness at the injection site, sometimes a little in duration, and then fever and myalgia, and, and that's really about it. So uh, they're the classic kinds of adverse events that we see with a vaccination, and that's really about it in terms of the safety. The Immunogenicity that has been studied has shown that the immunogenicity is essentially dose-related in, in a population. That is, if you give increasing doses of the antigen, you get an increasing antibody response. Now, the antibody response is variable, but when you look at it in a population study, it's essentially showing a dose effect. I'm, I'm wondering, uh, as you talk about it, is there any cross-reactivity to any other antigens that these antibodies might want to attack by accident? Are they just going after nicotine? They just appear to be going after nicotine. They are specific, and, and they just appear to be specific to that. So they're, they're not 
actually producing any any other kinds of side effects as a result. How did this uh, come about? I mean, who came up with the idea, and uh, how was it developed? Uh, it seems pretty space age. Well, we had met with the company Nobby, and they had told us that they had read in the literature that there were some studies that suggested that antibodies could reduce the effects of drugs of abuse, and we agreed with them. We said yes, that you know those studies are are, are actually good, valid studies, and. They said, we have a technology that we could apply towards this. Would you be interested in this if we were to come in to, for funding? We said, yes. So we had the, the initial conversation with them, and they came in for funding, and they got the grant that was for about $4 million, and we also did some extra work for them too. So under a, a relationship that we had with them, we did some toxicology and kinetics work, and they were developing the, the vaccine. From that, they went from the concept to the clinic in about two years. Mm-hmm. And from that point on, it's it's been just keep pushing and pushing. And the latest study that we have supported has been a study in 300 patients where smokers were randomized in a two-to-one vaccine-to-placebo ratio and then evaluated at six months. And this clearly showed that the smokers who were in the vaccine group that got the highest antibody titer had a differential quit ratio favoring the vaccine. And the study is, that's at six months. The study is continuing out to a year. So we'll see if there are two things we'll be following. One is if there are any late quitters. And the second is if those who have already quit actually show a, a differential relapse rate. And we'll be looking for that to see if the vaccine actually protects against people relapsing. If you've just joined us, you're listening to ReachMD XM233, the channel for medical professionals. I'm your host, Dr. Larry Kaskill. I'm talking today with Dr. Frank Vachi, Director of the Division of Pharmacotherapies and Medical Consequences of Drug Abuse at the National Institute of Drug Abuse. Dr. Vachi, uh, we're talking about, you know, the quit rates in terms of uh, six months, a year later. Do you think it's going to be possible that these people are going to need a booster? Yes. The way that the study was designed was that there were two inoculation schedules that were given to the subjects, and the, the first inoculation schedule was four inoculations at 0, 6, 12, and 26 weeks. The second one was 0, 4, 8, 16, and 26 weeks, and we're going to be following both the decline of antibody and also the relapse rate to see if if there is a point at which people relapse who've already quit and if that is a function of a declining antibody titer. That would suggest, if that's the case, that they will need boosters every now and then. Will you be going after existing smokers or will you be trying to target this to kids to give it to them uh, just like a hepatitis vaccine so that they do not become smokers? At this time, it will be done for existing smokers, but I think that ultimately the company and NIDA would probably support marching backward into the smoking population. So that we would we would do this with confirmed smokers, and then we have there's a group of adolescents who smoke, and within that group they they smoke a low number of cigarettes per day, mm-hmm. five cigarettes a day on on average, and a subgroup of those five cigarette per day smokers accelerate and become lifelong smokers. So one of the things that could be done, and I would think the next group that would be done would be to go from the confirmed smokers to the not yet confirmed smokers. And if you can show that you're blocking dependence and blocking the progression to dependence in that group, that might be worthwhile. Following that, 
then consideration would have to be given to trying to, to do an inoculation in a non-smoking population. The inoculation schedule may be something that might give people pause because it might be as many as four to six inoculations per year. So this is something that, that an adolescent would have to keep going back to, to the pediatrician for. I'm aware that nicotine uh, stimulates our pleasure centers and releases dopamine. So let's say we no longer are, are able to get that euphoria or feeling from nicotine, and this person has an addictive personality, are they just going to you know, do what humans do, which is just go to the next drug that will give them their high? That's a good question. I, I, I would assume that might be a possibility. What we've seen in, in what is called the gateway hypothesis is that adolescents usually start out with smoking and, and alcohol and then progress to marijuana. And that pattern is, is expressed in about four-fifths of the adolescents who actually, who, who actually smoke and drink and eventually become marijuana smokers. The ones who go directly to marijuana usually live in neighborhoods where cigarettes and alcohol are not available, but marijuana is. So, it's, so it is an availability issue, and it's not clear how, how this would alter, uh, alter th- this trajectory. But one of the issues that uh, has never been clear to us is whether there is more of a pharmacological effect of the drugs on the brain in some ways, or whether this is a social effect, so so that you, if you become a smoker and a drinker, you're more likely to hang around with people who smoke and drink. And we know that if you're more likely to hang around with a crowd that that has already taken the illicit drugs, at a certain point, a, a percentage of those will go into the illicit drugs. Let's go back to nicotine. Um, <clears throat> nicotine has been demonized. And, you know, nicotine is really not the enemy of uh, – it's not really the bad part of smoking. It's all the, all the byproducts of combustion that end up uh, causing heart disease and uh, cancer. And it's not, you know, it's not really the nicotine. So why not go after one of the other ingredients in the cigarettes? Uh, because let's say down the road we come up with some drugs that actually use nicotine receptors and then this person can't benefit from them. Oh, well, I, I mean, that's a, that's a good point. But you, you might have a ligand, a nicotine ligand that didn't bind to this nicotine, to the nicotine antibody. That's a possibility because there are different types of nicotine receptors in the brain and the nicotine receptor that we're really targeting the most is the alpha-4 beta-2. And with that alpha-4 beta-2 receptor, that's the one that we think is responsible for the addictive qualities of nicotine. There are other receptors, uh, for example, alpha-7, which have to do with cognition, that you could target with either an alpha-7 agonist or, or antagonist that would probably not be bound by this antibody. Dr. Vachi, what other uh, agents are on the horizon in terms of helping addictions? There are a number of, of interesting compounds. One of the, the compounds that we're testing right now is a newly approved antidepressant. It, it is uh, a selegiline transdermal system. Selegiline is an MAO inhibitor. And what's been found with this transdermal system is that it does not block the, the gut MAO. And that's important because it's 20 milligram per day patch. There are no dietary restrictions for this in major depressive disorder. We have some preliminary evidence that selegiline actually helps smokers to quit 
then there's some neurobiological evidence that there is a component in smoking, which is not nicotine, that actually inhibits MAOA and MAOB in brain. So that one of the possibilities of the nicotine replacement therapies is that you're not totally replacing what people are getting in the, in the smoke. And, and what we're hoping to do is initially to show that the sludgling itself works and then do a do start doing trials with nicotine replacement therapies and sludgling. Dr. Vachi, uh, we're almost about out of time. When do you think NickVax is going to hit the market? How many more years? Oh, I'd say maybe in about three. Three years. All right. Yeah. So in 2010, we can yeah, look forward so. to it. Yeah. Well, I'd like to thank our guest, Dr. Frank Vachi, for joining us today. I'm Dr. Larry Casco, and you've been listening to the Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMD XM233, the channel for medical professionals. For comments and questions, send your email to xm at reachmd.com. And thank you for listening. <laughs>